You want violence? Teeming over the top. Hellacious violence? I just sons and daughters. I think Randy Newman sang that once. Huh? You don't know who Randy Newman is? Ah. It's the outdated wrestling hour. Everybody. My name is Bob Smith, and welcome once again to the Outdated Wrestling Hour. We are so glad you are back, and we're really looking forward to this episode with Craig Peters. And we're going to talk about violence in wrestling, then versus now. I hope that explains it. I think that's not much more needs to be said about it. Anyway, I want to do a little housekeeping before we get started with Craig. Um, we've got a lot of talking to do, but uh, first of all, um, we have started something silly but we think you'll want to get involved with it. It's called the Outdated Wrestling Hour Fan Club. You could find it at our website, outdatedwrestling.buzzsprout.com. It's it's a nominal fee. We'll get you in the door to uh, some things we've wanted to do for a long time. Zoom meetings, we can all talk wrestling together if you'd like to. Um, other little perks that we'll come up with, the ability to pra- perhaps even be on the show and take part in, in some contests or whatnot. Um, Check it out. You, you'll find out all about it on our website at datedwrestling.buzzsprout.com. Do it or don't, but um, it, it'll help the show and it'll keep us moving forward as we uh, sink our teeth into these wrestling podcast wars. There are a thousand million billion wrestling podcasts, even nostalgia ones. Most of them are pretty good. We compete against nobody, but we appreciate the fact that you listen every week. We really do. Secondly, I want to talk about the trivia contest that we talked about, geez, a month, month and a half ago. It's been very, very hard getting things set up for this, mainly because, first of all, we have a rather famous person who wants to take part in this. I'm not kidding. And we're just trying to make schedules jive with with that person and with the other people who have not been chosen yet. I am going to pick them out of a hat. I swear to you. <laughs> it's it's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to take the names of the, of the people who want to be in. I'm going to roll them around in my New York Mets cap and pull out that two names that will become the other two contestants. I've also been thinking about it, too. Here's how we're going to handle this. I told you there would be a phenomenal prize for the winner. But again, these trivia questions are made up entirely by me. So I'm thinking they're 1,000% accurate. But in the, in the scan case that they're not, I will give the other two contestants the same prize just for taking part, okay? But that's only if there's a controversy that, that some – you know how wrestling fans are. Somebody will go, Bob, I, I saw on the thing that you said that, um, you know, uh, Missouri Mauler was actually from Albany, New York. That's not true or something like that. I understand that. Somebody could correct me. If somebody does correct me on any of these answers – all three contestants will get the same nominal prize. And I mean, it's nominal, okay? It's, it's, I'm not buying a car for anybody, all right? So I'm really looking forward to this. And uh, as well as our coming shows, we're going to have Nate Maxson on from uh, the Weekend Wrestle podcast very soon. So we're looking forward to that. We're going to have repeat 
visits from some of our other guests, and we hope you're having a good time. Now, this show's going to be a little different. We get real serious and we get down and dirty with violence on this show. What it meant then, what it means now. From the time I was a kid to the time I worked for PWI with Craig Peters to the way it's presented now. And I'm troubled by some of it. And we'll talk about that. We hope you find this conversation enlightening. You may not agree with it. If you don't, let us know. Rate to us at outdatedwrestling at gmail.com. That is always open for your comments. Outdatedwrestling at gmail.com. Say anything you like, whether you think we're great or awful or in between. Come on and have a conversation. It's, it's what we're here for. Fun. But you can have fun and be safe, too. And we're going to discuss that in the upcoming comments. It's always a privilege to have him here. He's such a great guy. My great years with PWI and the Wrestler Inside Wrestling and Sports Review, along with the whole staff there. We had Bill after last week. We got to get Bill back on the show. We really do. Bill, come on in the show, baby. Please. We want you. Well, anyway, here we go. The one and only Craig Peters. Guess who's back? Last week, we had Bill Apter. This week, we got Craig Peters from the Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine and all your other favorites. How you doing, Craig? I'm doing great. It's an honor to be back. This is my third time on. You've got the record so, so far. The Outdated Wrestling Hour. So I feel like, you know, to your Johnny Carson, I am Orson Bean. So for, <laughs> Orson's Bean, an, an outdated reference there for I the. You're going to say Ed McMahon? I'm like, my goodness. <laughs> no, Orson Bean. Remember him? He was great. Yes, he was. He was very him. funny. And he was actually Orson Bean was actually one of the um, early contributors to Mad Magazine. That's true. Along with Ernie Kovacs, yes. Um, Henry Morgan. How many outdated? Oh, wait, we're entertainment, oh. entertainment references going go People here. are switching this thing off in droves. <laughs> Hit Mom, that forward 10 Mommy, seconds. Who's, Come on, Mommy, try it again. Who's Henry Morgan? Been dead for 30 years, dear. I want to listen to something else. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, heavens. We, we are old, folks. But, but this is why it's the outdated wrestling hour, because our references right. are going to be old because we're old. And, and if you don't like it, you old. know where to go. That's right. Yes, hopefully if you're listening, you're old, and if you're young, then you are the most educated among your peers. Uh, at least on the effluvia that we talk about. Anyway, uh, so. old, yeah, that's right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, we are going to get into some wrestling here. Um, anyway, uh, violence. as you know, last week I, I impromptu ran into Bill Apter, which is such a treat, and uh, he never changes. Just a little grayer, other than that, he's the same guy. It was such a Bill's pleasure a to run into I, him. I was shocked when he said that uh, he's going to be 78. Well, I guess it's true. mackerel. Yeah. But yeah, he's for his 75th birthday. Um, I remember this. Do you remember this? Mm -hmm. I had Gilbert Gottfried do a cameo for him. And it was vulgar and brilliant and everything you would expect from Gilbert Gottfried to Bill Apter. Oh, man. Well, I must have watched that thing a hundred times. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, I I don't think Bill was necessarily a big Gilbert fan. I mean, you have to Gilbert's definitely an acquired taste uh, for anyone who knows his comedy. But um, I love him. Boy, it's just, it's I love him too. I I thought he was terrific. Rest in peace, Gilbert. And he had a fantastic podcast. It was like the it was it, like he it was the entertainment version of this in a way. It was the outdated <laughs> entertainment podcast that he talked about old school show business, and um, it actually began. 
uh, as a podcast talking about old horror movies, like the old Universal movies in particular, um, you know, because Gilbert was a big fan of the Wolfman and Dracula and, and all that. And uh, it sort of grew from there. And Frank Santo Padre was his co-host, um, just really knowledgeable about all things movies and television and old school showbiz and uh, supremely entertaining podcast. Second only to this one, of course. Oh, you flatter me. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, the check cleared. So yes. As we record this, my friends, it's a sultry, hot day in Long Island where I'm sitting right now in the outdated studios, Inc. <laughs> we are have internet brownouts and all kinds of lack of air conditioning. You name it, it's going on in this area. And let's just say putting this particular podcast together has been a chore so far. We've done five minutes and it's taken us the better part of an hour. So I want right. to thank Craig for his patience as we put this together. A fantastic wrestling card coming to the Chaffa Mosque, featuring mm -hmm. Bob Smith versus his audio equipment and the internet. Right. And guess who <laughs> got pinned? Yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, 30-second show winner. Everybody hey, but Bob. That's there. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, so when you emailed me about this episode, um, you put a topic out there that I thought was really interesting. And it was... In a word, violence. And I think you asked the question. I deleted the email, um, but I think it was to the effect of um, what were the most violent, violent matches you've ever seen or, or something? Like no, it, it, here's, here's the tack I want to take. You, you are an interesting case. That's not what my doctor not, told me. But. Exactly. But you're an interesting case because when you were hired, according to our last show. Yes. You weren't always the biggest wrestling fan in the world before coming on board. Is that right or wrong? That is correct. Okay. Um, now, which means you were exposed to a ton of wrestling content right away as you walked in. You had exactly. to watch it because it's your business now. Right. So I want to go back to 81 when you started, and you're starting to get knee deep into it. And back in those days, the violence quotient was pretty high, particularly in the old NWA would, you know, Memphis, WWF would have some violent angles back when there were, you know, let's call old school professional wrestling. Did any of that take you aback in any way? Were you unsuspecting of what you were about to see before your very eyes? Oh, boy. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I don't think I was really taken aback back by anything um per se i i, I was you know because, because my approach to it was really an admiration of the skill set of the wrestlers and what they were doing um so it wasn't i wasn't cringing it, I mean, it wasn't like later years um you know you would see some of the, the some of the stuff that ecw did um and you know somebody getting body slammed through you know five tables onto a spool of barbed wire or whatever the heck was going on that, wow. that night. I mean, some you know, of their stuff was, was like, so holy I, mackerel. I mean, Raven crucified the Sandman in a match once and, right. and you used a, uh, a, a, you know, barbed wire crown. Talk about bad taste on top of ridiculous. I mean, but it, it was, but that part aside, you know, yeah, bad taste that could certainly be argued, but that was the brand, right? Extreme wrestling and they they really built that they were the you know they were the guys that and and 
and women, mostly guys, but that that did it. They sort of created that whole extreme, you know, the stuff that Cactus Jack did. Um, well, back so the- as part of the brand, it was hard to be taken aback because you sort of knew going in you were going to get craziness. Well, back then you had ECW here, and in Japan you had FMW. Right. And both seemed to be getting hotter and hotter as they went along. I mean, well, that what, I what they did remember. in FMW was just so far right. over the top, you can't even describe it. To- right. And that I, that I do remember when I was working in the magazines is we would get tapes from Japan on occasion. Right. right. And, you know, they, they sort of paved the way even before ECW. And, you know, every once in a while we'd get a tape come into the office and it would be, Holy mackerel! You got to, you know, <laughs> Bill right. or whoever else was watching the tape. Um, you know, maybe you, maybe whoever it was, would, would be like, "You guys got to come in and see this. You're not going to believe it." And we'd all gather around the TV, and you know, our jaws would hit the floor with with the kind of stuff that they were doing. Yes, but um, you know, I, like I was trying to remember like the real, and I did a little bit of research before uh, before we we started this call. Because I wanted to try and figure out, you know, what were the most violent matches, and that's that doesn't necessarily mean the most bloody, right? Right. That's that's a kind of a different thing. But what were the most violent matches that I saw in person? Well, um, it, or even on television, because I'll, or I'll even on what, television, because like I say, the introduction of violence into an area, let's say it was a scientific match that goes awry, and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose. Right. Sometimes that could create a psychological impact on who's watching at home. They're shocked. And if you ever saw a televised match, I was just watching one, a, a, a famous, and you were with the magazines at this point. Remember when Vader slammed Cactus Jack on a bare concrete floor on the 605 yes. show? Was that a bare concrete floor or was that? It was outside the ring. Yeah. He, he slammed outside a, the ring. Okay. Yeah. It yep. was a power slam, not a body slam, but a power slam okay. on his back. Boom. Back of his head. He got carted out. And then at the end of the show, it shows him being carted away on a stretcher. Right. Or excuse me, on an ambulance. They panned after it to the expressions of the people in the crowd. And they were genuinely shocked right. and concerned. It, well, looked, it looked real. It felt real. Yep. And the whole place went silent. As well, opposed that, you to, know, I, you know, boom. We talked about this. We talked about this on a past call, which is my... My fascination with wrestling, and to me, what makes wrestling the best at being wrestling, is that you know some stuff is not necessarily on the up and up, but you know some stuff is real, right? You know, Vader slamming Cactus, his body's going to hit the concrete. Now, how hard he hits the concrete, how much Cactus emphasizes, you know, that impact, that's kind of up for grabs. But there is this dividing line between what's absolutely real and what's absolutely theatrical. And that dividing line dances all the time. Right. It, it changes, it moves. And that dance is what makes wrestling really interesting to me. And so like you, you mentioned cactus being taken out on a stretcher and I'm sitting here trying to remember when was the first time I saw a wrestler carried out on a stretcher? Because now you're talking, it might've been, late 70s on tv oh it, um, commonplace when i was watching it as a kid commonplace early, early 80s i don't remember it from tv and i can't oh yeah oh time. heck yeah but you're exactly right you know in a in a context not today's context but in in the old old school context where you know uh, uh an abdominal stretch meant something right um 
you know, a guy being carried out on a stretcher had real impact on the fans. Yes, it did. And they were concerned. There was a whole different vibe back then. You're yeah. concerned for the well-being of whoever is being stretched out. But, you know, I want to, again, the reason I'm bringing all this up, why I want to do a show on violence, is two days, independency, which you probably don't have a lot of exposure to, is a cesspool of stupidity and wanton, unnecessary, real violence. Yeah, I just watched. I, 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 I just watched some stuff. Yeah, I just see some stuff crosses my path on, on social media, and you know, people post links and Twitter and so forth. And some of the stuff that I see just kind of blows my mind. Absolutely, should. <laughs> did, you see, did you see the clip that I think uh, one of our friends was sending around of two guys kneeling in the ring, each was repeatedly slamming a fluorescent light tube over each other's head like Tom and Jerry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, right. I did see that. The Tom and Jerry reference is right. making me laugh. Yeah, not the, right. Not the two guys doing it. One did, it, then yeah. the other did. One did, then the other did. And the broken glass is flying all over the place. I just saw another clip of somebody getting hit with their foot. And somebody praised a little girl. Now, dig this. This is insane. There's a little girl in the front row with a surgical mask on. She has her arms behind her the chair that she's sitting in while the glass is flying all over and somebody writes a caption going, that's a smart, that's a smart fan. She knows how to handle herself in, in this situation like this. I'm thinking, wait, a, wait a minute. First of all, you brought an 11 year old kid to something like this. And then secondly, right. she's, she's got to kind of like make sure she doesn't get hit by shrapnel at a wrestling match. Give me a break. Seriously. Now, I mean, it's it's going too far. The indies are a mess. And what bothers me is, is that the big federations now take their cues from the indies. It used to be that the indies took their cues from the majors. Right. I think it's entirely changed. People see something get hot in some hardcore federation somewhere, and they'll try to emulate it on the big stage. I think it's dangerous. I think people are taking too many risks and it bothers me because yeah, a violent somebody... moment, a violent moment in our day was, uh, how do I put it? An exception to the rule. All the, all the matches were action packed, but the violent flare up would be something special. That Yeah, exactly. And that's sort of the distinction, right? What's the distinction between action and violence? And yeah, old school wrestling was very action packed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Iron Mike Sharp slips that you know the metal thing into his wristband, and you know slams a guy in the neck. Uh, is that crossing over from action into violence? Kind of. Sure. But it was it. But that was also an expected, unexpected, right? You, you sort of okay. I know he's going to do that at some point in the match. Right, it's generating heat, as they say, and right. which is which is right. an old school tactic that goes all the way back to the forties. You know, the, the foreign average, the sneaky person who would take something out of their trunks and jab somebody with it. You know, right? And and so so and again, it sort of gets to the um, distinction between action and violence, and the distinction between bloodshed and violence, right? So, you know, which of course, you know, brings up anytime Captain Lou stepped into the ring, you know, Abdullah, um, Sheik, you know, Sheik, right? Where's, I get, I, well, I guess these guys, you could, it's a combination of all three. But here's the thing, right? though. Here's the, here's the difference between then and now. If you went to Detroit, you'd see some wild matches in the opening bouts. Right. But then when the sheet came out, that was a special moment and all hell broke out because it's like, 
you knew that was going to be your central heated feud violent because the heat, the sheik did two things. He cut you open and then he threw a fireball at you. That was basically his whole shtick. Right. But it wouldn't be that same stuff wouldn't be going on throughout the whole show. That's the difference. Right. So is that you're sort of defining a, a, a category of acceptable violence. Well, no, here's the I deal. Suppose. But let, let me just it, look, at, look at it from a straight entertainment standpoint. Okay. Try to find a videotape some more of an entire hardcore card. Because all okay. it is is two hours of bloodletting. Right. Pleasant light tubes, stabbing each other with various things, bashing with chairs, and uh, it's incredible. I mean, it's like, you know, what Jim Cornette refers to as outlaw mud shows. I love that expression. <laughs> um, and here's the deal. These guys are and women are doing this for 75 buck payoffs and they're never going to make the majors after they've done it. And they, if they think this is a stepping stone to national stardom, as right. you would say, they have another think coming. Well, <laughs> only Craig knows what I'm talking coming. about. Yeah, right, that's right, right. right. Well, you know, I, I was, I was going to try and take this conversation down a path of, um, you know, if the if if the sheik is violent and it's expected on a card and it's okay, you know, so many years ago, then why isn't more of that okay? If it's but I think the answer to that is when everything is extreme, nothing is extreme. That's the point. You have to have something like if if you have a whole card of what we used to call scientific wrestling in the magazines, but then you have you know, in the middle of that bruiser Brody is running down the aisle with the chain swinging over his head. Um, or, you know, the road warriors crashing into the ring full blast, mm -hmm. you know, with full makeup and, and the shoulder pads on right. that stands out from the rest. And that's, that's really a hard balance. Maybe it's that, you know, the independent promoters today don't understand that, that you have to, you have to build a context and then have something that, that sort of rises above it or stands outside of it in order to come across as special. Because again, if everything is extreme, then nothing is extreme. Well, and who cares? I, I just, you use the phrase independent promoters. The problem is that today's people, I'm not even going to call them wrestling professionals because I don't think they are. I think they just want to, there are, there are organizations with names like, I love this too. Bloodletting gore wrestling. It's not the name. I'm not going to name any of these for real. It, <laughs> right. And then you see Although the there poster, might be one out and there. And then like you see that, the right? poster at the bottom of the poster. It says kids admitted free. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Who's going to put, you know, Muffy and Billy in the car and go, come on, let's go see some wrestling. And here's, right. you know, here's, here's some goggles and here's some, uh, here's a bicycle helmet and sit in the back. Yeah, I I do see that all the time. I, I I see more posters for this sort of stuff than than video clips. But you're exactly right. It's you know, um, you know, ladder ladder match with thumbtacks and barbed wire, and you know, first person to bleed a bucket gets a free hot dog or <laughs> whatever the conditions of the match but are. There's things it, like there's things like parade free. There's things like hypodermic needles being used as weapons. And did you see the clip of John Moxley getting the skewers bashed into his head? No, I did not. What kind of, about what kind 18 of skewers? skewers, like skewers you would like barbecue skewers, like okay. wooden skewers. Oh, great! And he's bleeding like a stuck pig, and all the all the people are going, "Hey, how creative!" 
Well, yeah, it, it's like uh, it, it's it's violence porn. Yes, you know, it's, it's, it's actually it, yes it, 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 to bring in entertainment. I was actually just talking to somebody um, the other day about the TV show The Walking Dead, which I loved the first several seasons, and I was a huge fan of The Walking Dead comic book. I actually own original art for one of the covers. You know, big big fan. Loved the TV series when it came out. First first couple of seasons were superb. But then, you know, anyone who knows the show kind of knows where I'm going. You know, you had the character Glenn, um, who they teased and teased that he was going to die and he didn't die. And he, they teased it again. And he didn't die. And it sort of got tired. But then you had a very famous scene from the comic book where the bad guy, Negan, who's, whose gimmick was a, a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire, um, you know, basically bashes in Glenn's head. And everybody kind of wondered as the TV series moved along, you know, how, how are they going to handle this? And they handled it straight on, very gory, and it turned a ton of people off mm-hmm. from, from the show. And that was the phrase that was going around. It was just violence porn. And it was just, ugh, it was, it was hard. And that's, I, I think that's what a lot of this, that's sort of the, the context where a lot of this stuff you're talking about lives. It's just... You know, there's, there's there's nothing wrestling about two guys sitting on the mat banging fluorescent lights over each other's heads. Well, let, let us that. Well, let us even go back a little bit to the late career of Abdullah the Butcher. Abdullah the Butcher continued to be booked in Indies in his old age. He could not any longer get literally get into the ring, but he'd be booked just to jab people bloody. Right. Uh, on the ape, not even on the apron, outside the ring. There are there are videos of him literally just garroting people for fifteen minutes. The blood is flying all over the place. There was no art to it. There was no match to it. Right. But people thought that's something that people wanted to see. Just, maybe, right, maybe, in, maybe in cases. But they booked it in high school gymnasiums. Yep. With families sitting there. That's a problem. That's a problem for the sport as a whole. Presenting that type of thing, and you're you're taking your audience hostage when you do that. Because so, I, I, I put it to you. Let me just make this point. Yeah, a ahead. lot of people that go to independent wrestling when it comes to their town go, "Oh, I love the WWE. Let's go see this wrestling show." And then and then they see something like that, which never appears on a WWE or even for the most part AEW show that extreme. Right, it's more that, that's know, taking more and, jackass than WWE. That's going to drive more people away from wrestling than it attracts. There's no question in my mind about that. Nobody likes to be have their, have their nine year old kid watch somebody being stabbed with a fork for 20 minutes. So to get to get a little scholarly about the issue, and this is a great discussion, by the way, it, it which I think has a lot of implications for the business as a whole and exactly, the future of the business. Right. Mm-hmm. Is how do you? How, how do you get the pendulum to swing in the other direction when audiences are desensitized to that stuff or when audiences come to expect that every match is going to be, you know, a bloodbath or some ridiculous gimmick match? How do you, how do you reclaim what was? Well, here's what's heartening. Number one, when you see these videos of these wrestlers and I put my fingers in the air and air quotes, right? slamming each other over the head with, you know, kitchen sinks and, and stoves. There's nine people watching it, usually. Right. There's, there are no crowds going to this stuff. Uh, who are you impressing? It's it's like it's like the guy in the any federation in Hudson, New York, and Columbia County with his world championship belt 
You know, the, the only place they promote is in the, in the, you know, the VFW there. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's just, it's podunk. It's, it's, it's never going to take hold. All right. But, but the heartening thing is this, I'm not against violence. You know, the, violence has its, its role in professional wrestling, even WWE or what, what have you, but it's gotta be, it's gotta be ladled on with professionalism, you know, and, and, the semblance of sport, not just two guys trying to kill each other. That's because that's all hardcore wrestling is right. two guys trying to kill each other, basically. Well, and there has to be a reason for it. So, you yeah. know, I, I, mentioned, I mentioned earlier, I did a little bit of research trying to figure out, you know, what were the most violent matches that I saw in person. And I did come up with two that really came to mind. And interestingly enough, they were both 1983. Okay. And they were both NWA. And you could probably guess what they are. Hmm. With with those clues. my my first guess is the dog collar match between Greg Valentine and Roddy Piper exactly Starcade eighty three there you go and the other would be the last battle of Atlanta between Tommy Rich and Buzz Sawyer interesting okay but you know in in both cases they were the culmination of very lengthy storylines right it wasn't that you know these guys were just it wasn't Abdullah style, you know, oh, here they, here they come. They're going to bleed for 10 minutes. Right. Um, it was it was something else. You know, again, if 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 everything is bloody, nothing's blood. You know, nothing matters. If everything's extreme, nothing is extreme. I, I will uh, say I look back at that show recently and I didn't know we were going to be talking about this. But I look back at Star. In fact, I refer to that a lot because that show was really bloody i mean there was about six matches it was it was about six matches with juice on that show between abdullah and who do you wrestle manny fernandez or something like that and then they and then they had kevin sullivan with uh you know uh, maniac mark lewin juice 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 juice. you know tag team match too i mean it was it was just and and greg valentine versus piper was scary violent uh, you know, well, it was, yeah. I mean, it was, it was. The Piper lost a chunk of his ear in that one, right? And claims, I don't know if it's a shoot or not. He claims he lost some hearing after he that. Lost match. some hearing, yeah, yeah. So, so let me ask you another question because in my research, I, I did spend a few minutes googling this question. I don't know if this is true or not. It very well could be. You might be able to confirm. What was the first table shot? What was the first time somebody got crashed through a table? Oh gosh, it's in today's it matches. Like it, in today's matches, it's almost like a you know, a it's every polite, seconds, it's yeah. polite greeting. Hello, how are you? Bang. Yeah. Um, I it was it, it was nineteen eighty four. This you know you, you know the date of this really well. According according to the source that I found on the on the interwebs, and they wouldn't put it there if it wasn't true. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the big hint I'll give you is nineteen eighty four in Memphis. The first table shot. I buy that. Who who was it? According, according wait a minute. Would, let me let me guess. You would think Rand, off the top Randy, of your head. Randy Savage? Oh, very good. And very was good. it Robert Gibson or Ricky Morton? It was Ricky Morton. There you go. I am very impressed. Wow, yeah. Very impressed. Well, um that's what I did. I think that's why I got the job. <laughs> and, and people were stunned. Yes, they were. No, no one had never seen anything like that. And now it's, you know, like you say, it's, you know, handshake, crash it through a table. Oh, nice to see you. Let's yeah. wrestle. Three times a show. Yep. 
three times a TV show. Right. Yeah. So, well, anyway, I, I've got a bunch of uh, matches that, um, or no, not matches, but moments. A lot of them televised, some of them not. But um, I think televised violence was effective when it was, it had something behind it. You know, it, it wasn't just two guys slamming each other with stuff. For instance, this is right when you joined the magazines, the Larry Zabisco, Bruno San Martino betrayal match. Right. Television. Right. How bad did Bruno bleed in that match? And even though a lot of people saw it coming, they were still shocked by it. That's the effective use of violence in, in promoting a feud, I think. I would agree with that. Um, what else you got on your list there? Um, here's, here's something that it was a calamity for Dusty Rhodes. You're going to know this one. 1988, we're at the magazines when the Road Warriors, one of them used a spike from one of the uniforms to try to take out Dusty Rhodes' eye. Yes. And Dusty was booking and got, well, shit canned for it. Yep. You well, know? you know, that that was a thing. It was, it was in my in my research for the most violent matches that I've seen, that came up fairly often in the 80s. You know, somebody got a spike in the eye. Yeah. Um let me ask you this, because I did not research this question, but it occurred to me as you're talking about this stuff. When was the first time a wrestler got hit by a car? Was it Jerry Lawler Eddie Gilbert? I think that might have been the Lawler Gilbert. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Nobody had seen that before. And that's around 91. And I think an argument could be made that that's the first, first step where it all started to go wrong. I'm not saying it was or wasn't. Well, that definitely, <laughs> you know, I, I remember writing about that. I remember showing other people in the office that, you know, remember I used to watch the Emmy Yates tapes and I right. called people in the conference room. Like I always said, you got to see this. You're not going to believe what you're going to see. And everybody said, I don't believe what I just saw. I mean, Gilbert revved the car up, bounced Lawler off the hood and he went lying onto the pavement. And it's like, that's the first time I think that they pushed that boundary that much. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're taking it out of the ring. You're taking it, I mean, it's it's really, uh, you know, beyond the boundaries of anything you could call a wrestling match. Right. I mean, it's just, it's a out, it's an out and out crime. You know, you're trying to hit somebody with a car. Like, you know, what, what is that? And now there's um, been, there's been plenty of vehicular uh, tomfoolery since then, haven't there? <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, that's, Triple that's H and guys. Tom Foolery would be, that'd be a pretty good name for a band, maybe. I don't know. Pretty good. Vehicular Tom Foolery, yeah. <laughs> CBGB, we hardly knew you. Anyway, um, um, yeah, I just, um, there was been a lot of auto angles since then, you know, not to mention Goldberg practically ending his career by literally slamming his fist through a, a windshield and hurting himself doing it. Right. Um, you know, and then, you know, the WWE, WWE was always bringing up cars every week. And of course, who can forget Vince McMahon being blown up in a car? <laughs> what a great angle, huh? Oh, man. Oh, good Lord. They, the thing that saved that was a tragedy. And, you know, I'm not going to talk about that because it's like that's the point when the Benoit thing went on and they just forgot about it after that. But it's ridiculous. Come on. Where were they going with that? But, you know, it's sort of bring it back to like this. You were talking about the, you know, televised violence. Right. And we talked about this a bit before, before hitting the record button for this episode. Um, you know, how compelling was it uh, 
when you had you know blackjack mulligan you know with who against whoever you know whoever the scrub of the week was that was going up against blackjack and he slams on the claw and there's the big big red x across the screen uh the what i refer to as the blasty red x yes um <laughs> because i i will say this and i'm, I'm this old 73 or late 72, Blassie returns to the WWF with his meaningless Pacific Coast Heavyweight Championship that nobody knows how he won. It was supposedly, I guess, an inference that he was still champion from California where he just came from. Anyway, first thing he does, he, he takes on big Jim Lancaster. This is, I remember the jobber because it had such an influence on me. Blassie gets in the ring, about three minutes of fighting goes on, and he starts gnawing at this guy's forehead, and the blood is pouring down his face and living color on my TV. And as a as a as a 12 or 13-year-old or whatever the heck I was, 11, I went outside and I was like staring, staring at the garage while dribbling a basketball, going, What the hell did I just see? <laughs> a guy just gnawing someone's head open. Right. Now the next week on the WWF, he came well, back was, again, Blassie did, right? Vampire Fred Blassie. Right. right. And and then the next week they put an X over the screen. Then the second time he did it. And for forever when he did it after that. He was only built into a feud for about eight weeks then. And whenever he bit somebody, they would put an X over the screen at that point. So we were talking, and I gotta talk to after about this. I need an answer to this. Was these optically censored match done? because people thought it was too violent and would make people shut their TVs off or they get them in trouble with the FCC or something like that? Or was it a come on to get people to come to the arenas and see that violence that you crave live and in person? See, I think it's a little bit of both to that. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, I, you know, do you do you remember? Because, you know, you said it affected you and you it's oh, clearly gosh, have a yeah. good memory of it. Yeah. Do you remember how you felt like, oh, I, I want to see Blassie in the arena do that? Or, see, this is, this is what wrestling a- does to you. We talked about this early on in our first and second shows. You go, oh, that was horrible. Oh, God. So I didn't expect this kind of – I can't wait to watch next week's show. Only wrestling could horrify you and repulse you and make you want to come back and see it again. Right. Because I think innately a lot of people – like violence, you know, a deep down in our psyches, for some reason, it's. I feel like the the Kardashians tapped into that sensibility too. Huh? It would be <laughs> horrified and have to come back and see the next week's show, but that's that's another discussion. <laughs> oh gosh, that's another discussion for another time. Oh, in my in my considered opinion, the Kardashians gave America stupid lessons for five years, but that's just me. <laughs> That's just me. You know, I'm a sweet guy, you know, but, um, well, do you see what I'm saying though? It's like you, you're repulsed by it and want to see what happens next week. Right. Only wrestling could do that. If you saw, if you hit a, if you hit a deer with your car, you don't want to do it a second time, right? No, you wouldn't want to do that. But there is something about wrestling. Maybe it's, it's the, how did they do that factor? Because in every wrestling fan's mind, you kind of know it's a work. You know, you kind of know it's it's not on the up and up. Right. So how did they do that? Why is he bleeding? What, what? is that's he really biting him? You know, all those questions run through your mind. Yeah, that's the dance between the real and the right. Uh, and the and, and that's what makes wrestling addictive. That's what but, makes people really get into it. The, and the ironic bit of all that is that 
so many people believe the blood was fake. Yep. <laughs> well, I don't blame them for that because you know what? Old school territorial wrestling was really good at keeping their secrets. Yep. They kept their secrets like crazy. I, I always tell the story in 1991 or 91. Remember I took a wrestling vacation with the Memphis hung out with yes. Jerry Lawler for a week and saw a few cards and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I had to go to the men's room at channel five. <laughs> right. So I asked them, where's the nearest men's room? They go, oh, go in that big room right there. In the back, there's a, there's a men's room stall. I said, thank you very much. So I go into the room, and Eric Embry, the booker, Jerry Jarrett, the promoter, and I forget who the third person was, were going over the TV show. And when I walked in, they looked at me like I was a Martian. Why? Even though they knew who I was and why I was there, they were protecting that kayfabe. Yep. And they all clammed up. That's the difference. These people wore that cave, you know, that that secretive society they were in to the T. The sheik was the sheik. He wasn't Ed Farhat. It was a sheik no matter where he went. You know exactly. what I'm saying? It, it's like exactly. it was a credo. It was a way of life. The good guys don't never, mingle with the bad never guys. Never break character. Right. Never it, break character. Don't don't be seen with the bad guy if you're a good guy. All that stuff. Well, wasn't that the first one of the very first uh, instances where kayfabe started to break among fans at large was Sheik was in a car Iron with Sheik. Iron Sheik. Yeah, not right. yeah, not at, at Farhat Sheik. Iron Sheik, right. and they got they got pulled over for a traffic ticket or something. And, and at the same Remember time, they, they're having a feud. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, not a traffic ticket. I think they were enjoying a little party favors, if you know what I mean. <laughs> According to the news report, right. So, I like that expression. It's always been one of my favorites. Party favorites? Party favorites, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, um, That's a party. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's know, a I, real favorite, too. Yeah, right. And uh, again, to, to, back to the topic of the topic at hand of violence, I, I wish I had all of the magazine. Well, I, I wouldn't have enough shelf space for them for, mm-hmm. you know, 15 years of, of every magazine. But I vividly remember writing a story where the headline was called The Science of Violence. Ooh. I couldn't. I couldn't tell you what the story was about, um, but it probably had to do with. I, I, I want to think it was something from, something from Texas, um, with with uh, barbed wire matches or something like that. That's that's what comes to mind. But well, th- there's another one, right? The barbed wire match. Oh yeah. Well, I think that I think the barbed wire matches go back to the south. To be honest with you. Like Kentucky, small smaller places. I think you mean like Memphis, Kentucky. Are you are you talking like fifties, sixties? Yeah, I th- I, th- I think no, no, no. They were legitimate organizations. I think they were doing uh, barbed wire matches and extreme feuds for a, decades back. Seriously, I, I, I'm pretty sure you can go as far back as the sixties and find some barbed wire matches. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Not often. You see, that's the difference. Right, not all. You did it as a not everyone. You did it as a feud blow off, not as a way of life. You know, you went to an extreme fact that this there must be a winner in this match. Remember those days? There must be a winner in you know in Madison Square Garden on the main event. You know, no disqualification, no countouts, no rules. Those days, that type of thing. Back when you see that made it attractive because it was the exception to the rule. All the other matches had referees and disqualifications and draws and countouts. Not this match. This match is going to make you come to the arena 
see your favorite guy rip open the heel the way he ripped open the face. So, so current day matches aside, going back to the seventies and eighties, the the table shot that was an exception, not the rule. Right. The chair the, shot was uh, an exception. The chair shot was an exception, right? Um, you had the chain match. We talked about Valentine Piper mm-hmm. right. cage match. The cage match was an exception. Not always bloody, by the way. No, no, especially um, in WWE or F or whatever. They they would have many. By the 80s, they had no blood in their cage matches at all that I recall. So, you know, when we talk about the 70s and 80s wrestling and, you know, we talk about the first table shot in 84 and table shots are common these days and chair shots, which were uncommon back then. But, you know, they're a dime a dozen now. Um, Cage matches, of course. I'm trying to think of other things from the 70s and 80s that stood out as violent, even though they may not necessarily have been violent. And so what do I mean by that? Um, like, I'm almost thinking of like Killer Khan. Remember him? Sure. Boy, he was, I, I loved him. Yeah. He was great. He was great. He was great. But he had that scream and he was big and he just overwhelmed the opponent and you're like holy mackerel this is there's something else going on here that uh, this is just scary stuff and it 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 was it's interesting but even just just talking about it and thinking about it it wasn't particularly violent or any more violent than anything else going on but it was the it was the context of what was done it felt violent right it wasn't violent but it felt violent which maybe is even better Young Bobby, 1971, watching the old NWF out of Buffalo, watching Bulldog Brower coming into the ring, biting and decimating his opponent, kicking him, stomping him, slamming him with fists, dragging him outside the ring, hitting him with the ring steps, dragging him to the uh, table at ringside and bashing his head into that before bringing him into the ring and giving him a power slam and pinning him. You don't think that was effective on Young Bob? There you go. Right? I mean, it it it, it wasn't scary. It was just... This guy's nuts, right? You know? well, but that's the you know that's which, the difference. But not everybody in the car did that. That's that was right. the beauty of it. They knew how to meet out the violence and walk that tightrope, as you've said in previous shows. They walked well, that tightrope perfectly. That segues a little bit into sort of the flip, not to, not the flip side of violence, actually, but you know maybe the uh, the the minimizing of violence, violence plus comedy. How does that affect the perception of violence? And maybe the best example from, you know, from the good old days is our good pal, George the Animal. Right? I mean, he was unpredictable. You don't know what was going on. But there was that comedic aspect to it. Um, But do you remember? Do you remember they did a thing? He knew a young fellow, a young wrestler in the Detroit area who was double-jointed. Like his shoulder was double jointed or something like that. Like he could, he could make his shoulder look like he broke his arm. Right. So he imports him into New York and does a TV match against this kid and puts him in that flying hammerlock he used to do. And the, he throws the guy to the ring and it, for all intents and purposes, it looked like he separated his shoulder and broke his arm. His oh, arm was flailing behind his arm. And even McMahon is, Oh, that poor man. And Patterson goes, they've got to stop this match. It's, you know, it was like, it looks so real. Wow. 
And it's That's one of the great. most. I never heard. It's one of the most effective. I wish I could remember the young man's name. It was an incredibly realistic TV moment, particularly for WWF. You know, and uh, it's when Blassie was his, was Steel's manager, and it was something. I don't think that's going too far. I think it's it's showing off Steel as a dangerous person who is out of control, and somebody's right. got to stop him. That's the difference. Whenever there was violence like that or, or a villain like that, somebody's got to stop this man from Abdullah to George Steele to the Sheik to whatever. Now it's like there well, are no good guys. There are no bad guys. We're all going to just garret each I, other until we I think you've really out. hit. On, I think you've really hit on something there, which is. You know, yeah, wrestling is action-packed. It's not violence-packed, or at least it wasn't, right? Today, it, it can be violence-packed. But the violence was the exception, and it was something that needed to be stopped. Right. And exactly. So the, and so the good guys would come in and deal with it. Well, there's and, that, and that was kind of the, that was kind of the typical storyline, right? You even had that, like, into the 80s, Von Erickson Freebirds, right? You know, the Freebirds were just these you know, these jerks and they were violent and the Von Erics were going to stop them. Exactly right. And you know what, it, which brings us to a bigger part of wrestling psychology. The, the working man with his lunch pail and his job that he abides, but doesn't love and makes just enough money to squeak by. He was a wrestling fan. He would come to the matches with his wife and kids and how and howl at the bad guys. Yep. And take those life frustrations out on Baron Von Raschke or Brute Bernard or whoever the bad guy was in the town at that point and root for the good guys with his whole heart and soul because you know what? Get him. Get that bad guy. Because, you know, at, at work, the bad guy was his boss. Right. And I, I exactly. think that's a big part of old school wrestling psychology. People could vent through watching rule breaking wrestlers. Yeah, it was it was more cathartic, right? Where the violence today isn't it isn't cathartic. It's um, it, what's the word I'm struggling to find? It's it's like obligatory. It's like you're, no, it, you're you're enjoying it, and you're not you're not supposed to enjoy it. Like you're supposed to rail against it, and nobody's offended by it now. They're like right. And there's a mindset amongst today's young fans that really bothers me in that I, I read this line on Twitter or Facebook or something, and I almost hit the floor. They were talking about two guys that had an extremely violent match on AEW or something like that. And the person wrote, and I quote, and it's maybe this is paraphrasing. What a great match. Right. He almost killed the guy. And that's that's great creativity. I'm like, and when he said almost kill the guy, he meant that for real because the match was so extreme. And I'm thinking, where have we gone wrong? So this is really, I, I, this actually turned into a much more interesting discussion to me than I kind of anticipated it was going to be. Well, I, because uh, I'm, putting, talk, I'm putting today's thought, thought process into it. It's part of it, you know. Well, uh, you know, a lot of psychology, a lot of, you know, let's, if we can, I don't know if this is by way of summation or, or whatever, let's, let's take a step back from the discussion. And so let's review what we learned class. <laughs> and maybe we can sort of codify some of our rules and observations about violence and wrestling. And I think you just, you just came up with the first one violence purely for violence's sake is 
worthless. Right? You said you just said it. The, the you know the two guys that had the most violent match. Oh, what a great match! No, that's not a great match. That's violence purely for the sake of violence. No context, well, no good. Again, you you're talking to a guy who doesn't think violence is necessarily bad. Uh, far from it. The thing is, is that the, today's fans, and you're not around it a lot, I'm sure, but today's fans have an entirely different way of looking at matches. In our day, it was good guy, bad guy. You got to get him. You got to you got to defend the USA from the call-offs or whatever. There was a reason to want to see people get bit up, beat up. Right. Now it's who can beat the other guy up more for real, not fake, for real, because everybody knows it's a work. So they're looking to see these guys push their bodies to an extreme, like it's an art form. That's not an art form. It's right. no, it's not an art form. It's no, just, it's not. Yeah, how much abuse can I withstand before passing out? And when you got money marks like Tony Khan presenting this stuff on national TV and TBS and, and TNT are actually showing it, I'm flabbergasted. They've shown they've shown more gore on televised wrestling than the WWE has in the last 20 years, in the last six months. It, it's it's phenomenal to me how they're they're letting it on the air. And bad language too. And I again I'm not a prude. I, I you know, and if people love AEW, God bless you, go watch it as much as your heart content. All I know is I look at it and I I feel dirty. I really do. I feel like you know what the, the heart has been ripped out of this. The 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 tenets of the psychology have been perverted to such such an extent that I can't cotton to it. I can't feel it anymore. And that's what bothers me as a lifelong fan and observer and so called professional in the business. To, to basically 75% turn my back on what's going on today bothers me because I always enjoyed it like crazy. I was Mr. Emmy right. Yates, right? I watched every moment <laughs> of the tapes we got in, and and it's like now I could take it or leave it, and it really bugs me. Well, so let me ask you this then. Is there anything that you're seeing today that resonates with you in a way that did 40 years ago? Repeat that question. So is there anything that you're seeing out there today? New new material being created, new matches, new storylines, new wrestlers. I'll tell you that, what. That yeah. give you that gives you sort of the same like is, yes. is there a diamond yes. in the rough out there? Yes, yes. It's the WWE's women's division. Okay. They still wrestle for the old I'm better than you or I want that belt. Okay. Their storylines are not extreme. They're not overly violent. They're pushing them in that direction. But they've got fantastic athletes. It's not a girly show anymore. They're as good as the men, and they're promoted on an equal level with the men now. It's the healthiest thing to happen to wrestling in 30 years, and I commend them a 1,000% for it. And I'm a big fan of the women's division in the WWE, from Charlotte yeah. Flair to the new girls that have just come in. It's wrestling the way it used to be. There you go. They don't That's need like to go to ridiculous extremes for that. And there's some great matches. And I mean, Charlotte Flair is an incredible athlete. So are ever, all of them. There's nobody in there now that I would say, oh, she doesn't deserve to be on television. They all do. And they're equal. In fact, maybe they're more popular than the men are in some cases. Rhea Ripley, the women's champion right now, has a completely original look, style, sound, visage. She's completely original and she's an incredible athlete. And that's good stuff. So if anything has given me, you know, hope for the future of wrestling, 
it's women. So maybe the pendulum is swinging a little bit back in the other direction. Mm-hmm. That'd maybe. be a good thing. Yeah. Because, because I'm telling you, if, if, you, if, you watch, if you watch WWE, even for a couple of weeks, like watch Raw or whatever, you'll see that they handle the women differently than they handle the men for the most part. Right. And you know what? They're attractive. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the girly show it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, now they're attractive because they're fit athletes. And that's as far as they take it. And I think it's really well presented. And it has to swing back in that direction because the, like the only alternative is, you know, what's the next step? You know, snuff wrestling. I mean, it's just. But that's basically what some of these indies are like. Even if you, you see our friend. Uh, we were talking about him before. Um, our friend, the former announcer. Chris, Chris Cruz. Cruz. Love you, you Crispy. You you see Chris Cruz's post of these what indie is- federations called, you know, ruptured spleen wrestling. <laughs> yeah, kids, fifty cents. You know, it, it's right. like I, I I I did I say more? The whole psychology is thrown out for just whatever it is that they're presenting today. And here's the here's the bottom line of all this. Why is Bob so upset? Here's why Bob's so upset. Calm down, Bob. I have always, oh, I have always considered professional wrestlers to be the greatest athletes on the planet. When a guy like Mick Foley would sleep in his car and, you know, a bunch of other people that I knew who gave up everything in their lives to learn how to wrestle and even get a spot on an indie show. And then when they make it big, they have to be really, really good. They're fantastic athletes. I don't want to see people get hurt. That's what this is all about. It's not even so much the entertainment aspect. We're gonna we're gonna get a news report any second now of something really catastrophic happening at an indie show. You just wait and see. And I don't want that to happen, but how could it not? Right. Exactly. And that's that's the whole thing. It's because I love wrestling. I, I'm fond of wrestlers. I have a lot of great memories. And it didn't make me cringe. <laughs> it does now. <laughs> I don't know what else to say, you know. I rest my case, my friend. There you go. And what's what's your opinion? What is your well? You're you're not into wrestling now as as much as you used to be. So when I when I state to you what's happening and you see these clips on YouTube and in Facebook, how do you react? And what's your mindset on things? I I I find it to be very sad. I think I think there's a lot of these guys that are out there blading themselves and jumping off of balconies and and crashing into tables and onto barbed wire and all the rest of it they're you know and doing it for you know 12 cents and a hot dog they're they're doing it with some sort of some sort of idea that they want to be a star you know if maybe not even a wwe star you know that's that's way off the off the charts but they want to be they they want to create an internet moment. They want to create something that you know five million people on YouTube are going to see. Well, at what cost? Yeah. To what to what end? You know these when when you're 22 and throwing your body around like that. Um, yeah, you're right. Cactus Jack, absolute pro, one of the greatest ever. Um, but yeah, talk to him about the punishment his body took and how he feels today. What do these kids in their twenties think they're doing to themselves? Yeah. I just, I find it all very sad. Yes. Because, and- because 
for, you know, out of maybe, I don't know, a thousand, if there are a thousand people out there doing this stuff to themselves, maybe one of them will get a little bit of attention. The rest of them, you know, they're going to get 36 views on YouTube and that'll be that. Or, you know, someone will post it to Facebook and go, look at this crap. What is this idiot doing? And it is, it's, it's all very sad to me. Well, there is a bubbling underground of hardcore fans. You know, they're out there and they look at guys like Nick Gage as a, as a hero. The guys who have really put their bodies through hell, like it's something to be proud of. I just think I don't understand the mindset of somebody who wants to go to a show to watch people literally hurt each other for real. And they do, <laughs> you know, you, you don't think, you know, getting 80 stitches after their match is fun. I mean, I mean, what can I say? Um, I, but then again, I see advances because this is the outdated wrestling hour and I turn on the radio and I cringe and I turn on wrestling and I cringe and I turn on television and I cringe. And <laughs> I, I read, a lot of cringing. I, going I, I read the Taylor Swift just made $300 million and I cringe and I, <laughs> I, I don't know what to say other than I, uh, get off my I lawn. Hear, <laughs> I hear Taylor puts on an amazing live show. I got to give her, haven't seen it, but I got to give her some credit there. I hear she does a good job. I got nothing against her, but I liked her better with a banjo. She used okay. to play a banjo. Really? Yeah. I just, she's I a country know. star first. Played a guitar and a banjo. And a banjo. We need more banjo music in this world. No, we don't. <laughs> Tell it to Steve Martin. <laughs> we need we need more banjos. <laughs> we need we we need we need more jaw harps and uh <laughs> Hoedowns. Yes, yes, we do. In in fact, hold hold on. You're going to love this. What? No, don't do it. It won't show up. My noise gate's going to kill it. Oh, well. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got one. Remember the last time we were were blowing the whistles and all that stuff? None of it showed up. Got a kazoo, too. Once it goes through the processing, it's (laughs) it's gone. So I hate to say it. All right. Edit that out. That's a blessing (laughs) and a curse because I'd rather have it in. But uh, what can I tell you? We'll have to edit that out. All right. Any any event, Craig Peters is not a violent guy. He's one of my best friends from my wrestling days. And I cannot tell you how how much I value you coming on this show. I really do. And I know the fans like it too. I love it. It's it's a lot of fun. And it it really is. It was a very interesting, kind of a maybe a more philosophical episode than than most of them. You know, the nature of violence in a fundamentally violent sport slash exhibition. Last week, I referred to the show as the thinking person's uh, nostalgia wrestling podcast. And I agree with that. I want to delve into stuff that the other shows aren't doing. You know, I don't think any other show is going to talk like this. The other shows are kind of looking into the other stuff like it's normal. You know? yeah, yeah. But, but as, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, I, I am going to keep raising that flag, just like Jim Cornette does and a few of the others, now Snow and others. Protect your bodies, wrestlers, please. Protect yourselves. Yes. Yes. And that's why Al Snow's a hero, and that's why Jim Cornette's a hero, and that's why a lot of the old-timers who are are speaking to the young wrestlers now. And and you can put on a a violent match without being violent. It can be done, you know. We saw it for years, right? Absolutely. And if everything is violent on a card, then nothing matters. I agree with that. But, but you know what? Everything is extreme. Nothing's extreme. You know, I do want to give, I've been 
talking to Todd Gordon lately, he he did bring out a good point about ECW. As violent and bloody as it could be, they'd have scientific matches on every show. Right. You know, face versus face or, you know, Eddie Guerrero versus uh, Rey Mysterio or something. They had all that stuff on there. Well, um, and great storylines. Yeah. Also, guys who who knew, I mean, there's there's reckless violence and calculated violence, I suppose you could categorize the two. Um, you know, a lot of those guys, they knew what they were doing. They were taking calculated chances. They weren't just going out there and smashing each other all to hell. Well, I, I that's Although why, it, it looked that way <laughs> in some respects. Yeah, but you know, this is why a guy like Cactus Jack, I don't take umbrage at what he did because he knew what he was doing. He knew the psychology. Right. Right. Even when he was flying off that cage, he knew what he was doing. Yep. So that's the difference. Um, Psych- he was just psychology in context. Yes, in context. You can't do it every night. You, you can't even think about doing it every night. It should be something special once once in a great blue moon to do a spot like that. And he never did it again because he couldn't. You know, so you'd be a fool too. So I I, I love Mick Foley. Mick Foley is one of the greatest people I met in wrestling. There's a handful of wrestling friends that I consider, and he yep. was one of them. Did Did I tell you I I went to his wedding? I know you did. I was invited, yes, and I could I couldn't go. My it was the same day yep. my brother got married. I had a, I had a, I had a pull rank. <laughs> got my dude love Funko right here on my desk. <laughs> wow, it's great. Everybody has more memorabilia than I do. I never collected memorabilia. I, I don't even know why. I just never did. Even when I left the office, I didn't even take my wrestling dolls with me. So as we as we wind down, it it feels appropriate to to share this memory of of post violence recovery which was after and me somewhere in Texas or the Carolinas, maybe St. Louis. I don't know, but it was after a card that had Abdullah on it. And where do Bill and I go for late bite to eat? Got to, got to be a waffle house, right? (laughs) So we walk into the waffle house and there's Abdullah sitting in the booth, like in the back of the waffle house, eating the, you know, midnight, breakfast with the big bandage on his head still bleeding through the bandage you know there's come on over sit it sit down hey bill bill come on over right but what a sight i'm <laughs> doing the waffle has still bleeding from the match a few hours earlier oh. um, can't beat it memories Da-da-da-da. Uh, yeah. All right, my friend. It the the, the beautiful absurdity of professional wrestling, right? It is. It is. Beautiful, beautiful absurdity. absurdity. Yeah. And anyway, ladies and gentlemen, crazy. I think, they, I think beautiful absurdity opened up for automotive shenanigans. Or there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, it's Craig Peters. Bob Smith. Always great to speak. You got to come back really quick. And let's we're, see if we can get after. We got to get out here. here. We got to get a, a, a trio of a trio of memories. Because I have, I know I, we'll, well, before the show, we were talking, and I want to ask after some serious wrestling questions about not secrets of the old days, but things that were never quite explained in the old school ways. And yeah. he's the only guy on the planet I can think of who can answer them. He's got them all. He's got all the answers. He really does. Meanwhile, I have no answers. Thank I, you, thank you, Craig. None either. Here, none here. We're the answerless duo. We will see you soon. Craig, a lot of fun. Thanks yeah. for having me again. Craig, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Take care, Bob. 
bookkeeping, housekeeping. But we're not finished yet. Yes, you are. It's time for housekeeping. Don't ask. <laughs> anyway, um, Facebook, we're at Bob Smith. I'm singing with BB King. You can't miss me. Twitter, Bob Smith NYC. Our Gmail is outdatedwrestling at gmail.com. And again, for information about the fan club, to listen to all of our podcasts, anything else you might want to find out, outdatedwrestlinghour.buzzsprout.com. And I want to thank profusely my host and my online studio for the incredible job they did last time on the Bill After interview, which was recorded on a cell phone with all kinds of background noise. The result I got after handing it to those pros was incredible. Thank you all for the help with that. It was just great. So uh, we hope you think the show sounds as good as we're trying to make it sound. So we'll be back every Friday. We haven't changed our uh, release date as of this point. We hope you're having a good time listening, and we hope you come back again and again and again. We love you, and this has been a wonderful experience these last six or seven months, and we're going to keep on going. No reason why not. My name is Bob Smith, and I want you all, unlike those indie guys, to take really good care of yourself. Won't you? Mm-hmm.